I did want to read this letter. I just saw it here. I read it on Wednesday, but I'll read it again. It's from a family that we raked leaves for. We did that leaf raking outreach a couple um, weeks back, and we just went around and uh, raked people's leaves and cleaned up their yards and uh, left, you know, kind of a note or church business card and tracts and gospel information. Um, and one family sent a little note back uh, saying, we wanted to let you know how much we appreciated the yard cleanup last Saturday. It really gave us a boost. Uh, please thank your church and, and all those involved uh, for helping us uh, sincerely, uh, the Clements. So that's kind of cool. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 11 uh, through chapter 7, verse 1, actually. And uh, before we do that, why don't we open in prayer? Father, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word this morning. That, God, you would open your word to us in a great and powerful way. And that, God, we would be changed. That we would be moved. That, God, you would reveal yourself to us clearly. And speak to our hearts personally and individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just realized that my notes are on my desk. It's always a first time for everything. Um, I probably could teach without them, but I don't really want to. As we've said um, many times in our study through Second Corinthians, which if this is your first time here, uh, we're going chapter by chapter and verse by verse uh, through Paul's second letter to this church at Corinth. And... This is Paul's most personal letter. He opens his heart to them, as we're going to see here in these verses. He desires to share his love with them, even though they had hurt him in such a great way. And even though they had stabbed him in the back, and even though they had just really wronged him in a lot of ways, he desired to just share his love, Jesus' love, with them. And we're going to see that quite clearly this morning. I want us to to really take note of three things in our text, and that is the Corinthians' relationship to Paul, the Corinthians' relationship to the world, and then the Corinthians' relationship to God. And so those are the things we're going to see uh, this morning. Let's first of all see the Corinthians' relationship to Paul, verses 11 through 13. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Paul, first of all, says we have spoken openly to you. In other words, there was open communication with this church. He hadn't hid anything from them. He wasn't desiring to keep anything from them. His, his heart was to just open up his life to them. There was open communication. Paul didn't understand why it was that when he was there among them, everything was going great. Everything would be fine. You know, maybe he would ask people, hey, 
Are you doing okay? Is everything okay? Are, are you upset with me? Oh, no, Paul, everything's great. You're awesome. We love you, man. But then when he would leave, he would hear reports and they were gossiping about him and they were assassinating his character and they were stabbing him in the back. And Paul is saying to them, look, the communication lines, at least from my end, were open. You had every opportunity to talk to me and yet you didn't do that. You didn't take advantage of that. You waited until I would leave. And then I would hear about it from somebody else. And that's not the way it should be. Paul also says our heart is wide open to you. Not only were the lines of communication open, but Paul had opened up his heart to them. This speaks of vulnerability. It speaks of giving your heart away to somebody. And really these two things go together. These, these, uh, this idea of communication and opening your heart. Because, you see, our words, you guys, communication really is a Hansel and Gretel to our heart. You remember the story of Hansel and Gretel, how they left the little trail of crumbs, you know, and, and then they could follow it back to where they came from. And our words, the things that come out of our mouth, really are a Hansel and Gretel to our heart. What comes out of our mouth really reveals what is in our heart. In fact, Jesus said that very thing in Luke 6.45. And what is it that our words say about our heart? You see, the, the words that the church of Corinth were speaking about Paul revealed a lot about their heart. But the words that Paul was speaking about them revealed a lot about his heart as well. What is it that our words are revealing about our heart? If we're constantly complaining about our life, then it really shows that, that we're not thankful to God. It really reveals that our heart is not content. It really reveals that we're not trusting God. And I'm not one to say, you know, like, every joke has some kind of meaning to it. That's just... I don't know. I think that's that's dumb because I'm a person that likes to joke a lot and they don't always have meaning. But we we have to be careful that we're not excusing what we say all the time with, well, that's not really revealing anything about our heart. If if constantly what's coming out of our mouth is bitterness and anger and resentment and pride, and it, it's revealing what is in our heart. If all you talk about is yourself, then it reveals that you have a prideful heart. If all that you talk about is, you know, you fill in the blank, then it shows you where your heart is at. That shows you that's what you're passionate about. If all that comes out of your mouth toward the people that you love and the people that you have relationship with is criticism is negativity, it shows you where your heart's at, see? And so these two things, they really go together. Our communication, Paul says, it was open. Our heart, it was open. The things that were coming out of Paul's mouth were words of encouragement, words of blessing to the people of Corinth. Even though they had hurt him in such a great way. And this is really a a great example for us in our relationships, in our life. That we need to 
to be careful. That we guard our heart against bitterness. That we guard our heart against wanting retribution from people. Wanting our pound of flesh, if you will. That's not what Paul's asking for here. Paul says, all that I want from you is for you to reciprocate that love back to me. He says, man, our heart is wide open to you. I've laid it out there for you. To stomp on it, to smash it, to throw it up against the wall, and you've done that. And I could be really upset about that if I wanted to be, and I could ask for your head on a platter. But what I'm asking for is that you would reciprocate that love back to me. What a great example for us in our relationships. Maybe you've been stepped on. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe your heart has been damaged by people. And what you want is retribution. But learn from Paul. Keep loving them. Keep blessing them. Keep reaching out to them, wanting nothing in return except for them to reciprocate it. Wanting for them just to simply share that love with you. See, that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. To keep loving. To keep forgiving. To keep reaching out. You guys, agape love, which is the love of God, does not give up when things get tough. Agape love does not only love and reach out and open its heart when you're receiving in return. When you're being treated well. In fact, agape love is unconditional love. That's God's love. You see, God made a decision a long time ago to love us despite us. God made a decision a long time ago to love me, to love you, in spite of anything that you ever do. In spite of your behavior, in spite of your choices, in spite of your sinfulness. Jesus loves you. And that's the love that's in your heart if you're a believer here today. That's the Spirit of God that dwells within you. And you guys, we need to respond to people with that same kind of love. Now, Paul is obviously relating this principle to ministry. And we spoke at great length about these things last week. About being vulnerable in ministry, about opening your heart to people in ministry. If you weren't here, you can pick up the the CD, but we talked a lot about it last week, about how important it is in ministry if we want to be the real ministers that we've been talking about through our study of 2 Corinthians. If we want to really reach people, we've got to be vulnerable. We talked about that. As believers, we can't be closed off. We can't be private. We can't be all about us and guarded and nobody gets in. This is my little fortress. We don't talk to people. Guys, that is not God's heart for you. God wants you to be open and honest. Of course, you need to be careful what you say. You need to guard your words. You need to be careful who you say certain things to. I'm not saying just be an open book to everybody. But if you want to minister to people, you're going to have to open your heart up to them. And you might get hurt along the way. And we talked about that. But this morning, I want to relate this 
and these principles to marriage. For you married people here this morning. Because these two things, open communication, open hearts, are key to marriage. Marriages fail, you guys. And they're failing at an alarming rate because of a lack of open communication and a lack of vulnerability. You see, that's why people move apart. You've heard that. You know, we just grew apart. We just sort of went our own separate ways. And Andrew and I were just talking about that the other day because we're coming up on our 10th anniversary and just talking about how much we've changed in 10 years. How much we've changed since we met each other in 1995 when, when I was 20 and she was 18. It's an amazing thing how much we've changed, how much we've grown, how we look at the world differently, how we look at things differently. You know, at that time, I just wanted to be in ministry. At that time, I was in Bible college. Now I've been in ministry for almost 10 years. that time I wanted to be a pastor. Now I've been a pastor. You know, and so we've changed a lot. Now we have two children. And we were talking about how that it's so easy to grow apart. It's so easy to be 30, 40 years old and to look at each other and go, wow, we're completely different people. And I don't really like this new person. That's not the person that I married. And the way in which you avoid that is that you communicate along the way. You grow together. Your hearts are knit together. See? And then you don't grow apart. The things that your wife is growing into, you are growing into as well. The things that are important to her are important to you because you're sharing that heart. You're praying together. You're growing together. That's how you avoid growing apart. But see, too often, couples don't do that. They don't talk. They don't communicate. Oh, they, they talk and it's, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. How about, you know, tacos? And okay, well, will you take, you know, the kids to soccer practice and will you do this? And, you know, that's not communication. I mean, it is a form of communication. But we do that with people at work. We do that with, with neighbors. We do that with strangers. You know, I want a number five, no tomato. I mean, that's communication, but you're not really opening your heart to that person, right? And if that's what your marriage is consisting of, I want a number five, no tomato, you know, large soda, make it a diet, you know. I love that. Give me a Big Mac, large fries, and a Diet Coke. (laughs) It's great. I don't even do that because I don't like Diet Coke. So for me, it's just... Give me the whole works. <laughs> but if that's what our marriage is all about, you guys, you're going to grow apart. And you're going to look at each other 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and you're going to say, I don't really like this person anymore. I've changed. I'm different. And they've changed. And so I think we've kind of gone our own separate ways, and so let's go ahead and, and just end this thing. You guys, we need to end marriage Open our hearts up to our spouses. If you're not married here this morning, let this be a a lesson for you in, in how to have a successful marriage. Is that you would be open 
and honest with your spouse. And I found that, that oftentimes this openness will be sort of one-sided, just like it was with Paul. There, there will be one of the members of that relationship that are open, that are being honest, that, that are opening their hearts up. But the other isn't responding to it. And it gets old, it gets tiresome. And often I think that as men, we, we are the guilty parties when it comes to closed off communication, when it comes to not opening our hearts. We, we want to talk about certain things, but we don't really want to open our hearts up to our wives. And I'll say this, that there's a couple dangers that I think that women aren't aware of and a couple dangers that men aren't aware of. And the dangers that, that women aren't aware of, men are, and the dangers that, that men are aware of, women aren't. So let's talk about a couple of those things. First of all, I think women don't understand the damage that they're doing to their marriages when they refuse lovemaking to their husbands. I, I think that they don't understand the temptation that they're bringing into their relationship. I don't think they understand the damage that they're doing. Because for them, they can go long periods of time. And so, it's, you know, I'm sick, I don't feel good, I've got a headache, this, that, the other thing. And pretty soon it's been a long time. And the husband is frustrated. And there's no excuse for marital infidelity. There's no excuse for the things that men do. Never an excuse for that. But as wives, you ought to have a heart to look good for your husbands. To please him in that way. Because if you don't, you're opening up a Pandora's box to your relationship. I think that's something that women aren't aware of. And they need to be. And as husbands, we need to share that with our wives. We need to be honest and communicate that. Now, on the other side of the fence, I think that men are clueless when it comes to communication. They deprive their wives as much of open and honest communication as much as Women deprive their husbands of... You know what I was talking about. <laughs> Same thing. That we have different needs. We have different desires. Last night, my wife said to me, what... Don't tell her I said this, but... She said, what are the, what are the three... Your three favorite things about me. And I'm just thinking, oh, God. You know, I, this is hard for men to do. Right? And so, you know, you, you say these kind of lines like, well, only three. You know, it's three. All you, I mean, I could go on for hours. Because that, that's how you get away with the pause. Okay? That's how you sort of transition from, you know, why is it taking you 20 minutes to come up with this? Oh, well, hon, I've got to process all of the things to only come up with three, right? So that's how you kind of, that's just, that's extra credit. That's from me to you. But, so I shared, I shared some things. 
and it was kind of ironic because she had no idea I was going to be talking about this this morning. And so I thought, what a great test for me. And so I shared some things, and then she shared some things that, you know, she likes about me, and it was really cool. And, but a lot of times, I think guys will just go, I don't know, hon, you know, there's a football game on, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that a lot of times relationships fail for very simple reasons. And, you know, you hear guys and they say, man, you know, my wife just isn't interested uh, in sex. My wife's just not interested in that. Well, maybe it's for obvious reasons. You know, I think it was James Dobson that said, uh, you know, sex begins uh, at dinner. You know, it, it begins by helping your wife do the dishes. It, it begins by telling your wife how much you love her and that you desire her and that she's your only passion in this world, humanly speaking. And you guys, if you do that for your wives, if you communicate your heart to them, if you can kind of get in touch with your feminine side a little bit, you'll be rewarded for it. There's no question. If you'll love your wives and honor them, they're like puddles in your hand. These little tyrants of women that you think you're married to, you created that. You created that with your hard-heartedness. You created that with your desire for other things. And that's what you get. That's what you've created. You've created a woman who has no interest in you because you haven't shown interest in her. Guys, ladies aren't attracted to us physically most of the time. Especially if you're not working out and you eat like I do. Okay? You know, I have told, said many times, you know, it's just not what gets them going. But sitting down and sharing your heart with your wife does the same thing to her that it does to you when she takes off all her clothes. It's the same thing. So, we've got to be real honest with each other. We've got to open our hearts to each other and be vulnerable. And guys, it's difficult for us. It's very difficult. But we need to do that. Paul was sharing his heart. He was opening his heart to them. And they were not reciprocating that love. And it became very, very difficult for Paul, but he continued to do that. And why would we want to make it difficult on those that we love? Why would we want it to be one-sided? Why do we want our wives or our husbands to just be the ones that are reaching out, opening up? It shouldn't be that way should be two ways. Because love demands to be reciprocated. Now, that doesn't excuse you if you're not being loved. If your spouse isn't responding to you, that doesn't excuse you 
to act any way you want to act. It doesn't excuse you to get divorced. It doesn't excuse you to treat her or to treat him badly because that's the way they're treating you. At that point, you have to respond with Jesus' love. But you guys, if you're both loving Jesus, why would you want to make it difficult on the other person? If you're both seeking the Lord, it ought to be very natural that you're both opening your heart, opening communication, loving each other, sharing your struggles and your hurts and your pains, sharing your heart, sharing what's important to you. And you know what, ladies? If you're sharing that with another man because your husband doesn't want to hear it, you're asking for trouble. If your husband doesn't want to hear it, then find a good lady friend. But don't give your heart away. You're asking for a major forest fire. And guys, the same is true for you. Don't give your heart away to anybody but your wife. Let's talk about the Corinthians' relationship to the world. Verses 14 through 18. Now, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. And walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And so here is the Corinthians relationship to the world. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's a very very familiar verse and one that I think is used inappropriately, inaccurately at times. It's one that people will use to say basically that that Christians should have no relationship with the world whatsoever. That, That Christians should sort of isolate themselves. And this was sort of the theme verse for much of the legalism that has sprouted up in the church. And for years, you know, it was all about what you shouldn't do and you shouldn't dance and you shouldn't chew and you shouldn't smoke and don't hang out with those that do and don't do anything, basically. Don't listen to music, you know. And it was just sort of don't, 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 don't. And and the church became completely unrelatable to society. And basically, the notion was that Christians ought to just, you know, gather together and kind of, you know, form their little own communes and, you know, live off in the woods somewhere. And that's not true. That's not what this verse means at all. A yoke was a wooden frame or a bar with loops at either end. And they would be fitted around the necks of two animals to force them to work together. 
And the idea that is being spoken of here of not being unequally yoked comes from Deuteronomy where it says, do not yoke together an ox with a donkey. Deuteronomy chapter 22, I believe it's verse 10. Do not yoke an ox with a donkey. In other words, the ox is a lot bigger, it's stronger, and the donkey will have to, you know, basically be running in order to keep up. Donkey will have to work twice as hard to keep up with the poor th- with the thing. And so don't do that. That was kind of the concept. And, and that is what Paul is speaking of here when he's talking about not being unequally yoked. It speaks of any relationship that has you tied with someone that is holding you back spiritually. Forcing you to go in a direction that is opposed to God's will. Now, certainly this could speak of marriage. And I think it's very accurate that people are told and that it's taught, do not marry an unbeliever. It's very fitting for this verse. It's a great application of this verse. To not be unequally yoked. It means, as a believer, you should never marry an unbeliever. Because you'll be forced to go in a direction you don't want to go. Their heart is different than your heart. Just like Paul says here, all these things. What accord has Christ with Satan? What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and light with darkness and and these things. That's what it's saying. Why would you want to be yoked up with someone who has completely different priorities than you do? You're going to be going in a totally different direction or they will pull you down. Just like if you're sitting on a stool. If you think of being a Christian as sitting on a stool and being an unchristian or a non-Christian as sitting on the floor, it's a lot easier to pull somebody off the stool than it is to pull somebody up off the ground onto the stool. It's kind of the illustration. You're going to be pulled down. You're going to be pulled out of that place that you should be. That's what it means to be unequally yoked. But I also say that it's more than just Marriage, certainly, and I want to talk about those things, but it's also more than just marrying someone who isn't a believer. It could be marrying someone who's not in the place that you are spiritually. Who doesn't have the desire for ministry that you do. How many guys have I known who married a Christian gal hastily? And they had a heart to be in ministry. They wanted to be a pastor or a missionary. And they're not. Because this woman had no heart for that. It doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't make her someone that isn't saved. It's just an unequally yoked relationship. And it creates misery. It creates hard feelings. Why go there? But it's also beyond marriage, you guys. It could relate to business partnerships. You should never go into business. You should never invest 
with people. You should never link up with people who have different priorities than you do. Who have a different heart than you do. Your heart is for the Lord. Their heart is for other things. And I'm not even saying just be fine with the fact that they're a Christian. Or that they name the name of Christ. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this business partnership, and yeah, they go to church. I, yeah, I think. I mean, we haven't really talked about it a lot, but you know, they they I'm I'm sure they're they're a Christian, and they may be. But if you're on fire for the Lord, and they're not, that's unequally yoked. Whether it be marriage, whether it be business. Whatever it is. It could be a friendship. If you're yoked with someone who is pulling you down, who is causing you to go in directions that you don't feel God is leading you to go in, that is being unequally yoked. Guys, clearly, we're called to be in this world. But what we find here is that we're called to be separate from the world. Not conform to the world. And so if this friend, if this business partner, if this spouse, or I should say girlfriend, because if it's your spouse and it's too late, but if this girlfriend, this boyfriend, if this relationship is pulling you away from Christ, then it's an unequally yoked relationship. Because in that situation, somebody is going to be being pulled in a direction that they don't want to be. See, that's why they were supposed to yoke two equally strong animals. And they might fight against each other a little bit. But pretty soon they're going to realize, you're as strong as I am. In fact, you look just like me. We're the same size. And we might as well go in the same direction because it just makes more sense. And they would do that. And they would work together. But if you yoke up a camel with a donkey, it's not going to work. The camel's legs are ten times longer. The camel's going to be, you know... Way out here, and the poor donkey's just running for his life just to keep up. That's kind of the picture. We have to be careful that we're not yoking up with people who have different priorities, different passions, different pursuits. Do not be yoked to the world. Jesus told us to yoke ourselves with Him. And He said when we do that, we'll find comfort and rest. Why is it that we always want to yoke up with something other than Jesus? Our relationship to the world, as Paul is talking about, the Corinthians' relationship to the world. And what does he say here? Time and again, come out from among them. Be separate. What fellowship does a believer have with the things of this world? But clearly, in context, you guys, Paul is talking about our ministry in the world. 
I mean, we've been talking about that a lot, right? The ministry of reconciliation. The fact that we're called to have a heart for the lost. That we're called to reach out. But there's a difference, you guys, of being in the world and being of the world. It's the same difference of a ship being in the water and a ship taking on water. A ship can be in the water and it's just fine. That's what it's made for. But when it starts taking on water, it's a problem. And if your life is not only in the world, but you're also becoming like the world, then you're being yoked together unequally. And you need to find out where that is. You need to release yourself from those relationships if it's possible. If it's a marriage relationship, then scripturally speaking, you just need to deal with it. Unless the unbelieving spouse decides to leave, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us then let them leave. But you're not to seek out a divorce because you're unequally yoked. It's just a a difficult situation. And if you were a believer and you got yourself into that situation, then you have to live with the consequences. If you got saved later and the other spouse didn't, then you just have to pray and seek God. But if there's relationships that you're in right now that you can get rid of and they're pulling you down and they're holding you back, you need to get rid of those things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have unbelieving friends. We should. But if your unbelieving friends are having more of an influence on you than you are on them, then you need to find other unbelieving friends that you can reach out to. Because obviously that relationship has gotten to the point where you can't control it. Where you don't have the boldness. You don't have the strength to be a light. And so you need to cut that off. Or at least you need to limit your dealings and your involvement. So our relationship to the world is one of separation, not confirmation. Let's talk a little bit about the Corinthians' relationship to God. We actually see it at the end of verse 16, the end of verse 17, and then 18 and the first verse of chapter 7. Look at the end of verse 16. For you are the temple of the living God. I will, as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And then this is our relationship. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then the end of verse 17, he says, come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And then here's the relationship. And I will receive you. And then verse 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, verse one, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Therefore, having these promises, 
What promises? All the promises that were listed there that we just read. That He's going to walk among you. That He wants to be your God. That He wants you to be His people. That He wants to be a Father to us. That we shall be His sons and daughters. These are the promises. And in light of these promises, He says, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It is God's promises, you guys. God's promises, God's love that leads us to holy living. In light of these promises, He says, therefore, having these promises. He doesn't say, therefore, knowing the holy judgment of God. He doesn't say, therefore, knowing the law of God. Or therefore, knowing and having all these rules and regulations, cleanse yourself. Those things are true and those things are there, but they don't motivate us to holy living. And that's why it's so amazing to me that people want to live by the law. You guys, we live by a greater law. It's the law of love. Jesus said that the law hasn't been destroyed, but He fulfilled it. We'll keep all of the law if we understand that we just need to seek Jesus. Then the law just kind of takes care of itself. Then the rules and the regulations become developed in your own heart. Not because somebody told you to, or a church mandated that, or a pastor said this is what you should or shouldn't do. Guys, it's a spontaneous thing that God does in your own heart. And then you begin to want to live that way. You begin to want to seek Jesus. The law can only point out your sin. Rules and regulations can only make you aware that you've broken those rules and regulations. I mean, we have rules and regulations all around us in society. We have speed limit signs every quarter mile. They don't stop people from speeding. You drive by and you go, huh, that 55 mile an hour sign just spun as I went by it, you know. It, it didn't stop you from doing 90. What stops you is the cop that pulls you over for that time and then you do it again. What motivates us to keep rules and keep regulations is love. See, what really motivates us to not speed is when we realize that it endangers other people. When you realize, you know, that you have children in your car, when you realize that you might hurt somebody else, that's motivation. That's when you start to really think about it. It's the same in our relationship with the Lord. When we see what Jesus has done for us, when we see how much He loves us, when we don't want to disappoint Him, that motivates us, that creates within us a heart to live holy. And see, He says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. In other words, you are already holy. 
It's not something that you're working toward. It's a position that we're working from. See, He's already called you holy. He's already said, you're a saint. You're perfect in my sight. Now, we have the choice on a daily basis whether we're going to walk in that or we're going to reject that. But you're already a saint. And now in light of that, in light of the promises of God, in light of the love of God, walk holy. That's the principle here. That's our relationship to God. Is that He demonstrated His love for you. He died on the cross in our place. He's given you these promises that He wants to dwell in us, that He wants to walk among us, that He wants to be our God, that He wants to be a Father to us, that He wants us to be His sons and His daughters. And when we understand that, when we comprehend that, then, you guys, we cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. And we walk in holiness. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. Lord, I pray that these truths, that these principles, God, 